Open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. The Bible says in verse... Uh, let's start in verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And then this is our verse for this morning. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have been looking at Your desires for us for this new year, Lord, now this is where the rubber meets the road. This is what we are to do. But what we learn from this text is that we can't do it. And so, Lord, we need Your help. And so, Lord, thank You for what has happened already here. Lord, there are people that have burdens here in this room. There are great needs. And yet the greatest need that we have is to hear from You. So, Father, I pray that we will today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We have been looking at at God's desires for us uh, through the Scriptures, and what we have found is He reveals those desires for us through His prayers for us, through the Apostles' prayers for us. We started in the book of Colossians. Last week we were in in Philippians, and this week again in Philippians. And so look at verse 9 with, I'm sorry, verse 11 with me again being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto glory and praise of God. So what we see, first of all, is that the fruit of righteousness is a good life. The fruit of righteousness is a good life. All right, so I'm going to ask you young people some tough questions. All right, what kind of fruit grows on an apple tree? See, you guys are sharp. I know this. What kind of fruit grows on an orange tree? What kind of fruit grows on a watermelon tree? <laughs> oh man! And it's very simple. So you you have a plant, a tree, whatever that produces produces a specific fruit. Now, I guess you can make a certain kind of fruit tree produce another kind of fruit by grafting something into it. But just by nature, that doesn't happen. So it's really important that we get this. If we are going to produce good works, well, that's got to come from righteousness. Right? And this is is a big problem. There are a lot of people in the world who are at church right now you know, whatever their time zone is, they'll go to church today and they believe that that church going is them participating with God in their salvation. Right? There are a lot of people that believe that they have to do work, good works in order to be saved. How many of you know people that are like that? They believe that, that, they, that they've got to keep going. If they don't keep going, then they can't go to heaven. There are other people that believe that the gospel is simply good works. There was a man, his name was Walter Rauschenbusch. He was born in 1861 and he did his training. He was a Baptist. And so he made a profession of faith in a Baptist church. But this was the time when liberalism was entering into theology. And what do I mean by liberalism? They didn't believe, these liberals, they didn't believe that the Bible was true. They didn't believe that Moses wrote uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't believe that Isaiah wrote Isaiah. They didn't believe that Daniel wrote Daniel. It's interesting, isn't it? Do you know how I know that Daniel wrote Daniel? Because it says Daniel. 
It's very interesting. So he was influenced by all that. He went to Germany and he studied. It's very interesting. So imagine this, born in 1861, goes to Germany. This would be in the 1870s, early 1880s. And he studied economics and he studied theology. Well, remember, Germany was where all of this liberal theology was happening. And where do you think Karl Marx was from? <laughs> Germany. And so he learned that. And then he moved to London and studied industrialism. And so it wasn't that he was learning how to build things. It was the, the communist workers movement, that type of information. And he became associated with, with what were called the Fabian socialists. Now, how many of you are you're ready to just drive an ice pick through your eye already in this sermon? Don't worry, we're going somewhere with this. So he comes back. And he starts teaching at Rochester Seminary. And I think he studied some at Rochester Seminary in New York, which was a Baptist seminary. And he started learning evolution. And so he learned evolution and he gave up his belief in the Bible as being authoritative. But he still wanted to preach the gospel. So he wrote a book called The Social Crisis. And so what he believed was that Jesus died on the cross not to pay for our sins because he didn't believe in what's called the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. So what is the substitutionary atonement? Jesus died in my place. Jesus, He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. He believes that what Jesus Christ died on the cross to alleviate was social injustice. Anybody heard of social justice? The father of the social justice movement was a Baptist. All right? But he was a liberal Baptist. So he introduced this social gospel into the world, but he's not the one who really made it popular among Baptists. The one who made it popular was a guy named Shaler Matthews. Shaler Matthews was born in 1863 in Maine. He went to Colby College, which was a Baptist college. He ended up going to Rochester Seminary. He no longer believed the Bible as the Word of God. He became the dean of the theology department at the University of Chicago. The University of Chicago was a Baptist college founded by John D. Rockefeller. All right, so if you go to the University of Chicago today, they have the Rockefeller Chapel. It would look like a cathedral from Europe. It's unbelievable. Rockefeller paid for that to be built. But it was built on theological liberalism, and Shaler Matthews introduced that into what would have been the Northern Baptist Convention at that time. He was the president of the Northern Baptist Convention. So why is this important? Because this was all about good works. It was all about good works. And so these men influenced generations of Christians to believe that what the gospel is, is a soup kitchen feeding the poor. Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. That's the, And they use that text for that. Of course, that text doesn't have anything to do with feeding the poor. It has to do with how the, the, the nations surrounding Israel treated Israel during the tribulation period. And it, that's the clear context of the passage. It doesn't have anything to do with you feeding the poor. Now, how many of you believe that it's evil to feed the poor? <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that feeding the poor is not the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. Would you all agree with that? Let's make sure that we understand that. Keep your place in Philippians. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
Do you know that it really does matter what you believe? Amen? It really does matter what you believe. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. So what do you do with the gospel? You receive it and you stand in it. Is that right? According to 1 Corinthians 15, 1. So you receive the gospel and then you stand in the gospel. Then, by which also ye are saved. So you're saved by the gospel. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. What does it mean to believe in vain? It means to believe in nothing. Vanity is nothing. Emptiness. It's what's in a teenager's brain right now. Emptiness. You guys ought to see what I'm looking at right now. It's like you had a lobotomy. All right, so here we go. What this is saying is it's believing in nothing. So you pray a prayer. Okay, I'll pray this prayer. But you're not genuinely believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who He is and what He did. What you need, that's believing in vain. What do you need to believe in reality? What is the, What do you believe in to make your salvation a reality? Well, let's read on. Verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Now, it's very important that you get this. The Apostle Paul did not invent the gospel. He received the gospel. Where did the gospel come from? Jesus Christ. Okay? For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Okay, so everybody answer me. Why did Jesus die? For our sins. Not for His sin. He didn't have any. All of us, we're full of sin. All of us. There's no one in here that's sinless. Jesus Christ was sinless, right? So He died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He was buried three days, three nights in the earth, rose from the dead the third day. Praise God. Then He ascended to the right hand of the Father and now He makes intercession for you and me. He he prays for us. Isn't Isn't that a wonderful thing? So that's the gospel, that you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we deserve to go to hell. There was no hope. There was no hope of eternal life for anyone in the world. And so Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. Isn't that wonderful? The Bible says, and He is the propitiation. We'll look at that word again in another passage in a minute. But the word propitiation, that means He was the satisfactory payment. God was satisfied with His payment. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's the gospel. The gospel is not ladling soup. Now, if somebody's hungry, what should you do? Feed them, right? That's a good thing to do. But Jesus Christ said, the poor you will always have with you. Why did He say that? Why did He say that? Because Judas didn't like it that Mary had taken the ointment and poured it on Jesus. That money could have been used in another way. We could have fed the poor with it. Jesus said, now you'll always have the poor with you. Isn't that interesting? And so this concept of good works replacing the preaching of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ did great harm to the churches. 
And let me tell you the churches that it influenced. All of the Northern Baptist churches, what split off of the Northern Baptist churches at that point would have been the G-A-R-B-C churches. And so anybody who knows anything about Cedarville University, that came out of the GARB, G-A-R-B-C churches. They came out of the Northern Baptist Convention. The Conservative Baptist Convention was started. People like W.B. Riley and others. And so out of that group in the north, there came some good churches, but all of those old Northern Baptist churches, many of the American Baptist churches in Canada and New York, I mean, I mean, in the north, they just became liberal. No gospel message at all. I could bring you um, a letter that Dalton Robertson wrote to a, a pastor in New York. We were in New York City, Dalton and I, and it was really fun. We took a day and just went to bookstores, old used bookstores. Buddy, Dalton's son, was with us, and I think he wanted to kill himself because we, <laughs> we spent the day just going from one old store to the other. And we were walking through, I think it was Washington Square, and off of that was this church, this beautiful building, and you can tell by the construction that it was an old Baptist building. There was a certain architecture. If you want to know what that architecture is, next time you're in Troy, find where the old First Baptist Church Troy was. It's a very uh, familiar architecture to Baptists. So we saw a building like that in New York City. And it was the Judson Memorial Baptist Church. Now, it was named after Adoniram Judson, the great Baptist missionary. And we saw a sign that described what was going to be going on. It was going to be a play. So Dalton looked up the play on the Internet, and there was going to, and they advertised, you really want to come because there's going to be drinking and nudity. And so Dalton wrote the pastor, Mrs. So-and-so, and they had this interaction, and I've got to read it to you sometime. It's just unbelievable. That's what I'm talking about. No gospel, no gospel message, no understanding of the Bible or the Scriptures at all. It's gone. And what was the basis of that? A teaching and a belief that the gospel is doing good, helping people. No, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand what it means to do good, and the only way that we can do good and it's in our text today. And so we're going to establish this because I'm sure that in a crowd like this, there are people that think that the gospel is doing good. No, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scripture. So let's, get, let's build a, a biblical understanding of this so we can understand God's desire for us in 2016. So Philippians chapter 1, look with me at verse 11 again being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. The fruit of righteousness, according to our text, is a good life. Now, the word righteousness here, it means doing right. Doing right. Um, it's like this. Righteous, the fruit of righteousness is the fruit that righteousness produces. Righteousness produces the fruit of righteousness. So if you are righteous, that's going to produce something. It's going to produce fruit. So it's like this. What is the fruit of a Christian? Other Christians. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, 
patience, goodness, all of that. That's, the, that's what the Holy Spirit produces in you. The fruit of the Christian is other Christians. God wants us to reproduce other Christians. How many of you recognize that? Right? We're supposed to give the gospel to people and bring other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the word righteousness here refers to doing what is right. A person who is filled with the fruits of righteousness is good and does good. So look, look at the verse again. This is, this is what the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is praying for the Philippians. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. But where do they come from? Which are by Jesus Christ. Those fruits of righteousness are produced by Jesus, not by you, not by me. All right? So ordinary people live comparatively good lives. How many of you understand that, humanly speaking, some people are better than other people? Right? How many of you know some people that are really bad? Right? They're mostly in Congress. We, we know this. All right? We all know some people that are really bad and other people that are comparatively good. They do good, a good neighbor, whatever. And these are people that... They, on a human level, they pay their bills, they give to charity, they perform neighborly acts, they champion good causes. But this kind of good is only relatively good. It's relatively good. You know, from a human standpoint, um, Mother Teresa was better than Hitler. From a human standpoint. Would you all agree with that? Right? From a spiritual standpoint, Mother Teresa preached a false gospel and everyone who believed what she said went to hell. How many of you rarely hear something like that out loud in Christianity? In her autobiography, Mother Teresa didn't really even believe in God. When she talked about, she was after she was converting, she said, well, if you mean am I making a better Muslim or a better Hindu, then I guess I'm converting. Is that the gospel? What's the gospel? preaching of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. So humanly speaking, Mother Teresa alleviating the suffering of lepers is better than Hitler with Meng Joseph Mengele torturing people and doing uh, uh, research on living people, cutting them up and stuff. I mean, it's just terrible. That, that's, that's bad. How many recognize that's bad? But Mother Teresa is comparatively good compared to Hitler. The result of following either one of them was that you go to hell. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Right? And it's, it's a horribly sad thing. Um, Dr. Sexton, he was president of one of the colleges that I went to, and he said, he used to say, most of the people, like the social gospel people, they spend their whole lives making the world a better place from which to go to hell. It's like they're standing at the gates of hell and handing people water as they enter in. That's where the gospel is so important and understanding what true righteousness is and where that righteousness or from where that righteousness comes. It comes from Jesus Christ. So I have a problem. I need to be filled. The Bible says here, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. So that's the idea of filling up a hole. I'm empty. I'm empty of righteousness. I need to have that filled up. And you're either going to fill it with righteousness or with unrighteousness. So put your marker here in Philippians 1 and go with me to Romans. This is really interesting. Romans chapter 1. So here in Romans 1, God is describing this downward spiral of disbelief. 
Okay? Um, look at verse 21. Because that when they knew not, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Let me make sure I announced it right. We are in Romans 1, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So there are a lot of people that really think that they're wise, but they're foolish, right? Wise things that end up being foolish. So the Bible describes this downward spiral, and then look at what happens. Look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now look at what it says. Being filled with all unrighteousness. What's Paul's prayer for the Philippian believers in Philippians 1.11? Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Here, people are filled with unrighteousness. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You know, the worst people in the world are celebrated. Um, Oh, who's the rock star that died this past week? David Bowie. Well, he was known for being androgynous. All right, that means he sometimes he was a girl, sometimes he was a guy. And, you know, when he died, I, I saw a tweet by Josh Groban how he did so much for gender identity, how David Bowie had done so much in the area of gender. Gender confusion? What, what, what was Groban doing? And I love Groban's voice. He's got a beautiful, he's a beautiful voice. He can sing great. But what, in, what is he doing? He is praising unrighteousness. Praising. That's the world that we live in. And so how can you be filled with unrighteousness and be filled with righteousness at the same time? You can't. It's an either or proposition. So I have a problem. I need to be filled and I will either be filled with unrighteousness or with righteousness. Go to Romans chapter 3. I think most of us are familiar with these verses, but it really is foundational to our discussion today. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So how can I be filled with the fruits of righteousness if I can't be righteous? There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. How many of you have heard of seeker-sensitive churches? You've heard of a seeker-sensitive church? That's a church based on something that doesn't exist. It's interesting, isn't it? There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So again, sometimes people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? They don't. They don't. We're, none of us are good. So how can I be filled with the fruits of righteousness? Look at verse 17. And the way of peace have they not known. The way of peace have they not known. The world's not at peace. There are Christians that aren't at peace. The way of peace 
they have not known. So I have a problem. I need to be filled, filled with the fruits of righteousness, but I don't have any righteousness. But what we learn is that peace and righteousness are codependent realities. Peace, let's get this, peace and righteousness, you can't have one without the other. They're codependent. You can't have peace without righteousness. How many of you know people that could really use some peace right now? Well, you can't have peace without righteousness. Why? Because our conscience bears witness. You, I know it's, it's so interesting, and you see this in the writings of the Apostle Paul. The closer that he got to glory, the more that he recognized his own sinfulness. The older I get, the more that I recognize how sinful that I am. In me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. That's, that's just the reality of who we are. Is that right? Do you all agree with me on that? So here's the problem. How can I have peace if I don't have righteousness? Well, that's where I need a biblical understanding of where to get peace and righteousness. Peace and righteousness are codependent realities. Let me show you one of the best verses in the Bible on that. So the only passage I need you to keep is the, the Philippians passage. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 32. Isaiah chapter 32. I hope you all will go with me in this message. So we started looking at the social gospel and Walter Rauschenbusch and, and Shaler Matthews and this, this false teaching of a good works gospel. And now we're trying to establish where good works come from because we're commanded to do good works, to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. All right, so Isaiah chapter 32, look at verse 17. This is such a great verse. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Is that a great verse? How many of you honestly are going to take time to memorize that verse now? This is a verse that I need. One of you ladies that does, you know, cool artwork needs to get me this so I can put it on my wall. Um, usually I, I say something like, you know, it's better to dwell in the corner of a rooftop than in a white house with an angry and brawling woman. I said, I've never seen that on a needlepoint or something like that. Usually I say that. This is a real one. This is so good. Look at this definition again. The work and the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Now, don't raise your hand here, but could you use some quietness? Could, could you stand to silence the voices in your head? Now, I know that that's funny. Some people, you know, I'm sure Jacob right now is thinking about some nut job with the voices. What's that thing you told me about voices the other day? Voices in my head. Oh, well, he doesn't remember. <laughs> the voices stopped talking to him. <laughs> but it, all of us, you know, are the voice... We speak to ourselves. The Bible says speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's better than speaking to yourself in condemnation and accusation, speaking to yourself in doubt and questioning, speaking to yourself in anger and bitterness and all of that stuff that is in us, the quietness and peace that comes from righteousness. We all need that. And, of course, the context of this is the kingdom, the millennium, when Jesus Christ brings peace and quietness to the world. But in my particular life, I need that peace and quietness. Go with me to Romans chapter 14. Before I found the Isaiah passage, this was my favorite passage on this subject. 
and it's still one of them. Romans chapter 14. And look at verse 17. I'm sorry, verse uh, 15. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Jesus said in the book of Luke that the kingdom of God is in you. So this, it starts with righteousness, and then I have peace, and then I can have joy in the Holy Ghost. Um, Look at verse chapter 15. This was the verse I was thinking of a minute ago. Look at Romans 15 and verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So where does this hope and peace and righteousness, where does it come from? It comes from Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? So let's, let's dive into this a little deeper. Go to the book of James. James chapter 3. Look at verse 17. Remember the premise that we're, that we're building on right here, that, that you cannot separate righteousness and peace, that you can't have it by itself. All right? So look at James chapter 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You can't separate righteousness and peace. How many of you know, how many of you know people that sow strife? Right? Have you ever had somebody, all they want to do is cause trouble in your life. They sow strife. Sometimes it's in your marriage. You, 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 husband and wife, you might have a father-in-law or a mother-in-law or a brother or a sister, that all they want to do is bring strife into your relationship. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. So peace and righteousness are codependent realities. So let's, let's try to come to a conclusion on this. The reason that I have no genuine good works is because I lack peace. It's hard to help someone else when you're full of turmoil. Right? So the reason that I am not affecting the people around me for good, genuine good works that bring glory to God is because I don't have peace in my life. What's the old saying? Hurt people hurt people. How many of you agree with that? Hurt people hurt people. And so somehow we have to get to where that we recognize that I need righteousness so that I can have peace so that I can affect the people around me in a positive way for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the reason I don't have good works is because I lack peace. And the reason I lack peace is because I lack righteousness. It's like this. At the end of World War I, remember you had the, the Sykes-Picot Agreement where a, a guy from England and a guy from France divided up the Middle East. Well, they to, to accomplish that, they were able to get Lawrence of Arabia to help them. And if you want to learn some things about Lawrence of Arabia, what's the, what's the museum there in Greenville? The Gilcrest Museum, something like that? 
Geist? Garst, the Garst Museum. Um, I think it's Lowell Thomas was a newsman from Greenville, and he had a real strong relationship with Lawrence of Arabia. So if you go there, you can learn a lot of things about Lawrence of Arabia. But Lawrence of Arabia brought some, some of the nationals from that region to Paris after World War I to help him get the influence of the Sykes-Picot Agreement back to the Middle East. And listen to what these guys wanted to do. They wanted to take the faucets out of the hotel back to Arabia with them so they could have water. They thought the faucets would bring water. That's interesting, isn't it? We have so many people that think some tool, some mechanism will bring them good works or will bring them peace. But those only come out of the deep well of righteousness that Jesus Christ provides. We are filled up with righteousness. When we're filled up with righteousness, then God provides us peace. When God provides that peace, then we're able to accomplish good works. That's the root. And what, what happens is so many Christian people, what they're doing is they're looking for that faucet to turn on the good works or to turn on the peace, and it's not there because the reservoir of righteousness is empty because they don't know Christ. All right? So now, this is, let's just finish this up. So what we've learned is that what God wants me to be filled up with righteousness and the fruits of righteousness, which are good works. That's what God wants for my life. But look, but go back to Philippians and let's find out where this all comes from. <coughs> Verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by good works. Did I read that wrong? Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by whiskey. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by soup kitchens. No. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by what? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So peace and righteousness come from Jesus. So look, look the Bible says in Romans 5.1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does justified mean? It means declared righteous. So the righteousness comes, then the peace. For the, the, the Bible makes it very clear that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so it's all by Jesus Christ. Go back with me to Romans chapter 3. We read the bad news from Romans 3 a minute ago. None righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. None that seeketh after God. Romans 3. Look with me at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest. It's made plain, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. Is that what it says? Of which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that, that believe, for there's no difference. So what does the Bible say? That based on the faith of Jesus Christ, that is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, 
Every person that is a believer, how many of you are a believer in Jesus Christ? God's given you righteousness. He has declared you righteous. Is that awesome? So now you have that reservoir to draw from for peace. Because the Bible makes it very clear. God's not a respecter of persons. Every person that is a believer, He has given them His righteousness. He has justified them. And so now every person in here has access to peace. You have access to what you need to provide or to produce good works. What a wonderful thing that is. Um, so here, here's the idea. If righteousness is the tree and good works are the fruit, then all the people that think that their righteousness comes from their good works have it completely backwards. It's like the kid who, he's in, you know, all, all of you moms will recognize this. You've got your son in his good clothes. And here's what you say to him. Don't get them dirty. Okay, that's like asking me to dunk a basketball, but, you know. Don't get them dirty. And the boy, fooling around, falls in a mud puddle. Mud everywhere. And so what he's going to do is he knows he's going to be in trouble, so he tries to do some good stuff. So he walks into the kitchen and he unloads the dishwasher. Then he goes into the living room and he practices his piano. Then he goes into his bedroom and he cleans his bedroom. Right? All to make up for falling in the mud puddle. The only problem is he leaves mud everywhere he goes. That's what our good works do. So when we think that we're going to please God by our good works, all we can do is bring filth. We can't bring righteousness to the situation. So what does mom do? Mom puts him in the bathtub and cleans him up. And then tells him to go clean his room, unload the dishwasher, and play the, practice the piano. See, the good works come after the cleaning. That's salvation. Remember, you don't get cleaned up to take a bath. Salvation is God's cleanliness. It's cleansing us from all unrighteousness. It's making us new. What a wonderful thing that is. They're by Jesus Christ. Then back to Philippians. Philippians 1, look at verse 11 again. Being filled with the fruits of unrighteousness, which are by Jesus Christ... Okay, so the fruits of righteousness are by Jesus Christ. For what purpose? Unto the glory and praise of God. And so this is such, this is my favorite. I've got in my notes, I've got stars written by this right here. This is my favorite part of the message. This is so cool because what this does is it, it clears some things up for us. So unto the praise and glory of our God, this is our means and our motive. Our means and our motive. The difference between saved works and lost works are the means and the motive. Why do I do good works? How can I do good works? It all comes from God and for God. It means, or the means of our goodness is not our own effort to copy Christ's life. Okay, I want you to do this. I want you to go out and copy Jesus. Good luck. You've heard me say before, how many of you have seen the, the what would Jesus do? WWJD bracelet whatever, right? That, that's not it because that's subjective. Well, I think Jesus would. We need one that says, what did Jesus do here on earth when he was here on earth doing things? 
right? You'd have to have a very large wrist to be able to, to put that on. And the problem is, if it's subjective, well, I think that Jesus would do this, then it's a Jesus of my own making. If it's the Jesus of the Bible, and now I'm going to be that, good luck. Is that right? So here's the key. This is the key. The means of our goodness is not our own effort to copy Christ's life, but it's Christ living in us. So when I do good, it's Jesus doing good through me. It's not me doing the good. And so when that happens, who gets the glory? He does. God does. It's so important that we get this. Uh, Alexander McLaren, he said this, He is the giver of it all, so that we are not so much to called to a painful toil as to a glad reception. Lord Jesus, give me the ability to do what it is that you want me to do. So the motive, the means is Jesus Christ living in me, and then the motive is to the praise and glory of God. God's name, listen to this right here. It's so good, and I'm, I'm done. I can tell you all are tired of me speaking. God's name is glorified when Christians do things that reflect His character. Can I say that again? God's name is glorified when Christians do things that reflect His character. After the shooting of the, at the church in South Carolina, people were amazed that those, that those sweet people in the church could forgive. How many of you were, you were genuinely impressed by that? Right? What was it? That's reflecting God's character. The genius of the gospel lies in the fact that this same Jesus, by His Holy Spirit, through the miracle of the new birth, now lives in every believer. The difference between spiritual fruit and human religious activity is that the fruit brings glory to Jesus Christ. Whenever we do anything in our own strength, we have a tendency to boast about it. True spiritual fruit is so beautiful and wonderful that no man can claim credit for it. The glory must go to God alone. Let me finish with this. I think it was Ravi Zacharias that said, um, I can't remember the illustration of the incident, but I'll use the one where Sully landed the plane on the Hudson River. How many of you remember that? It's just an unbelievable thing. He, this this wide-bodied jet, he, he, he's able to land it on the river. And so a lot of people were very thankful to that pilot, right? Well, there was another pilot that was flying and his electronics wouldn't work and he couldn't get his landing gear down. And the plane was going to crash. And right before they landed, the landing gear came down. Who do you thank then? Who do you thank then? You see, that's the difference. When we step outside of our comfort zone and do good works based on the righteousness and peace that God has given us, the glory can only go to Him because we know we could not do it ourselves. So the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the Philippians is clearly God's will for us that we be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the praise and glory of the Father. So here's the thing that I want you to do. I want all of us to leave here and do good works. Amen? Isn't that a good idea? At Grace Baptist Church, let's go out and do good works. But remember, you have no capacity to do good apart from the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ and the peace 
that is produced by that righteousness, then you're able to do good works by the Lord Jesus Christ that bring praise unto, praise and glory unto the Father. Amen. So here's my question. Are you saved today? Are you a believer? The Bible says that God gives that righteousness and that peace to everyone that believes. Have you believed in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? Or are you believing that your good works are helping you go to heaven? If you think your good works are going to take you to heaven, what are you know what works are? What do you get paid for doing works? Wages. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel is received. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 15.1, which I received. Have you received the gospel? If you have, what about your own personal righteousness? You still have none. Are you living in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? If you have that righteousness, how is your peace. Many people are crippled towards serving God because their life is in such turmoil. God wants to give you peace. And when He gives you that peace, that's going to produce good works. Amen? You want to do good, then receive the righteousness of Christ. Live in His righteousness and His peace. That will produce the good works. Let's all stand together.